Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. In 2005, former Navy SEAL David Goggins attempted to enter the Badwater 135 Ultramarathon. Badwater describes itself as the world's toughest foot race. It's a 135-mile course starting 279 feet below sea level in Death Valley, California, and ends up 8,360 feet above sea level at the trailhead to Mount Whitney. It takes place annually in mid-July when the conditions of weather are the most extreme, where temperatures can reach 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Consequently, very few people are capable of finishing this grueling race. And when Goggins tried to enter the ultramarathon, he actually ran into two issues. The first is that Badwater is an event that you have to qualify for by doing well at other ultramarathons. The second was that Goggins wasn't actually an ultramarathoner. Now, I'm not a runner, clearly. My body is not built to run. Uh, In fact, I think running's insane, and the only reason why you should do it is for survival, uh, because of zombies, really. But I know that running a marathon is something that actual runners struggle with. Right? It's, it's hard to complete a 26.2-mile race. Goggins wanted to run 135 miles. Now, just for context, that would be like running from Frederick to just outside of Philadelphia. But that didn't stop him. So Goggins entered the San Diego One Day, a 24-hour ultramarathon held at Hospitality Point in San Diego. During that event, he was able to run 101 miles in 19 hours and 6 minutes despite never having attempted to run a marathon previously. So not only was he not an ultramarathoner, he wasn't a marathoner. And that was the first competitive race that he ever ran in. But he kept running and David completed his first marathon in a time that qualified him for entrance into the Boston Marathon. After those two events, Goggins entered the Hurt 100, an ultramarathon in Hawaii, which is widely regarded as one of the hardest ultramarathons in the world. He was the ninth runner to cross the finish line in that event, and only 23 runners actually finished. With such a high finish, he was actually granted entry into 2006 Badwater 135, where he finished fifth overall. This is unheard of as, uh, for a result for a non-ultramarathoner. Like, at a world-class event, one of the hardest events in the world, he finished number five. Three months after completing his Badwater Ultramarathon, he competed in the Ultraman World Championships Triathlon in Hawaii. He placed second in a three-day, 320-mile race, cycling 261 miles in two days on a rented bicycle. Before that event, he had never ridden a bicycle competitively. In 2007, Goggins achieved his best finish at the Badwater 135 by placing third overall. So Goggins is now a motivational speaker. Some of you have actually heard of him, or maybe you've heard of his book, which is called Can't Hurt Me. He's also known as the toughest man alive. And when you hear him speak about his experiences in life, about what he's had to fight through to be who he is today, including growing up in poverty, having a learning disability, failing to make the Navy SEALs twice before succeeding for a third time, and a loss of friends in a military helicopter crash, There's one phrase that he repeats to himself over and over and over again. Embrace the suck. 
Embrace the suck. Embrace the suck is a military term that's used when conditions are less than desirable. Embracing the suck is when you're able to push through the mental, emotional, or physical barrier that stands in front of you so that you can reach your destination. It's having the guts and courage to not give up when things get hard. Another ultramarathoner, Chris McCormick, explains it like this. When emotional fatigue creeps up on you and weighs you down, when your body is tired and the pain is so horrible that, ex that it exposes any weakness in your character, when you know that you simply can't train hard enough to overcome the obstacle in front of you, that is when you have to embrace the suck. Over the past two weeks, we've been in this series called TGIM. And I've said over and over again that this series is a, is a series of where you can learn a few small steps that can help you have a better week and a better year. And as I wrestled with what to talk about today, I thought about talking about boundaries. And I thought about talking about something like consistency, something simple. But the idea that couldn't leave my mind was the fact that no one wakes up on January 1st thinking, I wonder if this is going to be the worst year of my life. No one wakes up on January 1st thinking, I wonder if I'm going to be emotionally beat down this year. No one wakes up on January 1st thinking, I wonder if my relationships will fall apart this year. I wonder if spiritually I'll doubt more this year. I wonder if I'll struggle with anxiety more this year. So while we're talking about small steps that can make a big impact on your year, one of the smallest things that we can do in life is understand that life is hard. And sometimes we need to embrace the suck. Now you know this, but life is not a sitcom. It isn't an episode of Full House where Michelle falls off the horse and loses her memory only to regain it by the end of the episode. Right? It isn't the entire series of friends where Ross and Rachel end up living happily ever after and the rent never changes. It's rent controlled, whatever. It's not real, okay? It doesn't happen in New York. It isn't the episode of The Simpsons where Homer predicts the end of the world only to be wrong and humiliated in front of the entire town, but it's okay because he actually predicted the start of a new mall and so everyone just goes and shops their cares away. It isn't the episode of Home Improvement where Jonathan Taylor Thomas's character thinks he has cancer only to find out that it's hypothyroidism. And this is why we love those shows so much. Right, sure, there's drama, but in 30 minutes, everything turns out to be okay. The pain doesn't last forever. The sadness leaves and the jokes show up. One author put it like this, 90s television is comfort food for our minds. But as much as we wish our life was a sitcom, it's not. Sometimes things don't get better. Sometimes the cancer doesn't go away. Sometimes it goes away and comes right back. Sometimes we don't get the dream job. Sometimes the relationship doesn't work out. Sometimes we don't get the family we want or the house we want or the life we want. And as much as we want everything to end up happily ever after, sometimes the current year we are living in is the hardest year of our life because life is hard. And as weird as that might sound, that's biblical. John 16 says this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me, here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. James 1 says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. He says when, not if. James 1, again, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. So the truth is there will be trials. There will be troubles. God never promises that life will be easy. God never promises that following Jesus will make everything perfect. In fact, if a Christian has ever told you following Jesus will make all of your pain go away, they're lying and they are very delusional about what the Bible teaches. If you've ever heard at church, if you just had more faith, you wouldn't be dealing with that pain or that problem or that brokenness. That's wrong. 
Yes, our sin makes our life harder, and us choosing not to walk in alignment with God creates other hardships for us, but following him doesn't make all of our problems go away. God promises that there will be trials and there will be troubles. So here's the bad news for 2020. There will be moments that suck this year. Some of you are already in those moments. Some of them, you can feel them coming. But the good news is that you can get through it. You can embrace the suck. So just like the last two weeks, there's one small step that you can take away today to embrace the suck and push through the hardships of 2020. There's one small thing that you can do to get through those trials, and it's find your community. Find your community. Find your people, find your crew, however you want to say it, find your community. Let's go back to 90s terms. Find your Michelangelo, Donatello, Leonardo, and Raphael, right? Random people who eat pizza in the sewers with, I guess. Find your Topanga, Eric, Sean, and Mr. Feeney. Some of us need Mr. Feeney in our life right now. Find your friends, except Ross, because he's annoying. <laughs> find your community. I mean, this is part of the reason why we love the shows, right? It's not just because everything turns out okay in the end. It's because we long to have a group of people who care about us, right? A group of people who are there for us, a group of people that will love us unconditionally, a group of people who we can do nothing with, and it means everything. And the truth is we were designed to be in this type of community. We were designed to be in authentic community with other people. We were not created to be alone. Even if you're an introvert, you still crave relationships. You might not tell other people, but you do. I am an introvert. I don't like parties. If you invite me to something, I immediately don't want to go. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't want to be there. People are going to be there. No, thank you. Not in, Oh, they're strangers. I'm just going to sit in a dark corner for a while. I don't get energy from social situations, social people, or social events. But I also recognize that I thrive when I have a few very strong relationships. Even introverts need community. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is true because it's actually scientifically proven. Nicholas Christakis is a professor at Yale University in the departments of ecology and evolutionary biology, sociology, medicine, statistics and data science, and biomedical engineering. In other words, someone who's way smarter than all of us wrote a book about this once, and this is what he wrote. Humans everywhere are pre-wired, pre-wired to make a particular kind of society one full of love, friendship, cooperation, and learning. Humans crave to belong to a group. They've also found that we genetically thrive when we're in a community and not in isolation. And the truth is this just confirms what God's been showing us all along. In Genesis 2, at the beginning of the Bible, God has just finished creating the world as we know it, land and seas, animals, plants, heavens, and the earth, all of it. And the last thing that God does is create man. He creates Adam. But then God realizes that Adam is alone and Adam being alone is the first problem that ever occurred in the world. Genesis two, it says this, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Let that sink in for a moment. Seriously, think about it. Before the fall of man, before sin entered the world, before pain and brokenness ever existed, before anything bad had happened, God realized that something wasn't good and it was the fact that Adam was all alone. And while we tend to hear that verse, if you've ever been to a wedding, that one is read a lot, Genesis 2.18 isn't specifically about marriage. God wasn't upset that Adam didn't have a spouse. God was upset because he designed us to be in a relationship with him and with other people. One of the greatest gifts that God has given us is each other. 
because we weren't meant to do life alone. So every single one of us has to find our community. And when I say community, I mean real, authentic community. The Bible actually teaches us what this looks like through a group of verses called the one another's. There are 59 verses in the New Testament that teach us what authentic community looks like. Verses like Romans 12. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. We've, we've talked about this before. Honoring means to treat someone as uncommon. Take delight in treating other people as uncommon. 1 Corinthians 12. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. Ephesians 4. Always be gentle and humble. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. 1 Thessalonians 5, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. And there are so many more verses that talk about forgiving one another, not lying to each other, living in harmony with one another, pray for one another, love one another. Because when life gets hard, which it will, this is the type of community that you need. So in order to embrace the suck, you need to find your community and before I talk about how you can do that here at Collective, I'm actually going to spend a few minutes challenging three specific groups of people. Now, every single one of you will fall into one of these categories, but some of you might actually be in two of them. Uh, guys and girls that are single, whether you are single by choice, single and you don't want to be once married, but now you're single. If you're single, I need you to lean in right now and listen to what I'm about to say. You not being married is not a problem. You might think it is, and God certainly cares about your burdens. And so if it burdens you, he, it matters to him. But there isn't anything wrong with you because you are single. God doesn't look at your ringless finger and say, that's not good. God doesn't look at the single guys and the single girls and think, that's not good. You being single is not a bad thing. And I understand it might be weird hearing that in church because the church has done a really terrible job when it comes to letting people just be single. Because you might have gone to the church that thinks something's wrong with people who don't have a spouse. And your very well-meaning Christian grandmother has asked you, why aren't you married? Don't you want to be married? You need to know that God is way less concerned about you getting married and more concerned about whether or not you are alone and have community around you. I read an article this week titled, A Lonely Japanese Billionaire is Seeking a Life Partner Who Can Accompany Him on His Upcoming Trip to the Moon. It's a true story. I had to read it with a title like that. Like, you can't skip over that. But the article is about a guy named Yusaku Mazawa. He's the eccentric uh, billionaire. He has $2, million, uh, $2 billion, and he runs an online fashion empire. And he previously made the news, if you've, you might have heard his name before, because he famously paid his way to become the first private passenger to visit the moon with Elon Musk's aerospace company, SpaceX. So he's legitimately going to the moon, and he's seriously looking for someone to go through. Some of the single people are, like, interested. Don't do that. <laughs> Okay, that's weird, okay? But as I got to the end of the article, uh, you read this story about this guy who has money, has everything he wants, and he wants to go to the moon, and it's all about him trying to find someone to go with him. But at the very end of the article, my heart started to break for him because this is what he said. He said, I've been able to acquire my share of money, social status, and fame along the way, but now I'm restarting my life as feelings of loneliness and emptiness slowly begin to surge upon me. Right, Mazawa has everything that culture says will make us happy. In fact, he has more of it than most. But he's starting to understand that it doesn't matter what car he drives or how big his house is or if he has enough money to fly to the moon. Those things are less fulfilling when you don't have someone to share them with. And so many of you who are single can totally connect to that feeling. 
But the problem is you're looking to fill that emptiness and loneliness with a spouse. And what you really need is authentic relationships with other people. What you need are friends who can pick you up when you're struggling. And it doesn't have to be a spouse. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Find that first, and that will make dating and relationships so much easier. There will be less pressure. There will be more hope. And to be honest, if you have that community in the first place, your standards will go up. And some of you need your standards to go up. Find your community first. Men, it's your turn. You need community. I know you don't think you do, but you're wrong. Married men, your wife can't be the only community that you have. Melanie Hamlet wrote recently that the persistent idea that feelings are a female thing has left a, left a generation of men stranded on emotionally stunted island, unable to forge intimate relationships with other men, and it's women who are paying the price. Your wife is paying the price. She's not nodding her head right now because she's sitting next to you, but she feels that way. Your girlfriend is paying the, paying the price for that. Hamlet continued, women continue to bear the burden of men's emotional lives, and why wouldn't they? For generations, men have been taught to reject traits like gentleness and sensitivity, leaving them without the tools to deal with internalized anger and frustration. Unlike women, who are encouraged to foster deep platonic intimacy from a young age, American men with their puffed up chest, fist bumps, and awkward side hugs grew up believing that they should not only behave like stoic robots in front of other men, but that women are the only people they are allowed to turn to for emotional support, if anyone at all. This form of emotional gold digging is not only detrimental to men, it's exhausting an entire generation of women. And some of you ladies wanna say amen right now. You can if you want to. There you go. Man, if your feelings are hurt by that, find another guy to talk to about it. So men, do you have community? Specifically, do you have other guys in your life that you can count on, that you can be real with, that you can be vulnerable with? Yes, I just said the word vulnerable. Paul from the Bible said it this way in Galatians 2, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Do you have that? Do you have someone in your life that isn't your wife or your girlfriend that you can share your burdens with? Find your community. Women, do you have a community that you can be a part of? Let me rephrase that. Let me say it a better way. Do you have a community that you can be a part of that's focused on building each other up? Do you have a community of women that you are a part of where your goal isn't to pretend like you're being friends? Where the goal isn't to gossip behind each other's backs about parenting techniques, fashion choices, and eating habits? Where the goal isn't to tear each other down so that you can elevate yourself? Brene Brown writes, the reason why women have such a hard time finding real community is because of shame. That for women, shame is a web of unattainable expectations that say, do it all, do it perfectly, and never let them see you struggle. Do you have women around you that don't expect you to be perfect, where you can actually be real about your struggles? Philippians 2, Paul writes this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Is this the type of community that you have? It exists, I promise you that. Or are you a part of the toxic female culture that our society is so fond of that many of the sitcoms we watch are built on? Now, if you do have these types of community, that's great. If you have real and authentic and honest community, there's no doubt that you can see the benefit in your life. You know that when things get hard, you actually have people to lean on. But if you don't have that, What's stopping you from finding it? Or better yet, creating it? 
every week at Collective, we encourage you to join a collective or join the team every single week. It's on your connection card. It's in your program. It's on the chalkboards. It's everywhere. But here's the thing. This isn't because we want you to do things. I literally don't care if you do those things for the sake of collective. I really don't. This isn't about a quota. This isn't really even about church. This is about you. We don't want anything from you. We want something for you. And we know that being a part of the team here at Collective and being a part of a collective are the two best things that you can do in this church when it comes to finding community. And we talk about the team for a moment. We don't talk about this stuff a lot from stage, but I'm going to do it today. The team is a group of 126 individuals who make collective happen. We set up, we tear down, we do church. But more than anything else, our team is the best community we have here. Because it isn't just set up, it's time to talk about life. It isn't just tear down, it's time to celebrate what God is doing in our church. We even have a breakfast team that literally comes in every single Sunday with a hot meal so we can, have, so we can pause and have breakfast together. And I know that on the outside, it looks like a lot of work or a big commitment, and it kind of is, but it is so worth it. And there are 126 people in this church that say it's a priority. Since Collective started, we've had 66 baptisms, which is nuts. Uh, for context, the average church has one a year, and Collective has just seen so much more than that. We are very lucky to be a part of what's going on here. But what's really cool is that 41 of the 66 people who've been baptized were people that were serving on the team. Last week, we celebrated Kara, who took that step. She serves on the Connections team. Check this out. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. Son of the living God. My Lord. My Lord. And my Savior. And my Savior. Upon that confession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Being part of the team isn't about getting you to do things. It is legitimately putting you in a place where you can grow, a place where you can have community, where you can take big steps and big next steps and have a group of people cheering you on. Serving in this church isn't about tasks. It's about a community of people who are on mission together. Let me talk about collectives for a second. Collectives are our small groups. They meet once a week for 90 minutes. We hang out, uh, we eat dinner, some of the groups drink beer, have fun. And then what we do is we actually discuss the topic from Sunday morning. We reread the Bible verses, whatever I bring to the table or CT or other people bring to the table. We read them again during the week. And then what we do is we discuss them. We ask questions. We wrestle with our faith and our doubts. We share how what we learned or what we're reading is impacting us. We have eight groups right now that meet throughout the week. We have a group that's just for students called the Youth Collective. We have a group that meets as early as 5.30. We have multiple groups that meet at 6.30 during the week. We even have one group that meets at Rockwell Brewery at 8.30 p.m. on Wednesdays. In fact, this group has grown so big that they've outgrown their space. We're starting a second brewery group in March. It'll meet on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. at Idiom. At some point, we're going to have a collective in every single brewery in Frederick. <laughs> I don't know if there's a more collective thing than that, to be honest. And the thing is, you don't have to drink to be a part of that group. We just know that not everyone can be a part of a group at 5.30 or 6.30 p.m. We know that some of you introverts don't want to show up at a stranger's house because you might be the first person there. And that's fine. These groups are not perfect. But here's the thing. You get out of them what you put into them. If you put shallow answers in, it will be shallow for you. If you put in inconsistency, you will have inconsistent relationships. But if you dive in, if you're real about your junk, if you make it a priority, if you invest in the community of your group, this will be the best part of your work week. 
This will be the community that you've been longing for, and I promise you that. So at some point this year, we're gonna struggle. And the truth is, we have to embrace the suck, but you don't have to do it alone. Sometimes the way that you persevere is on the backs of people who care about you. Sometimes the way that you overcome is through your friends carrying you through the heavy burdens. Sometimes the way that you triumph is to have people there who pick you up every single time you fall. But in order for this to happen, you have to find your community. And it can be here, but it doesn't have to be. It can be anywhere around you. Just find your community. It's just one small step. It starts with showing up. So that's how you do it. That's how you embrace the suck this year. But some of you are wondering why. Why do we do it? Why find community? Why not just give up because it's so much easier to quit when things get hard? It's so much simpler to walk away when you and your spouse aren't connecting the way that you used to. It's so much simpler to fall back into the addiction as you continue to struggle with sobriety. It's so much simpler to go deeper into debt, to end that relationship instead of offering forgiveness, to just quit. But I want to read you something that Paul wrote. Paul is one of the most famous followers of Jesus. He wrote half of the books in the New Testament, which actually ends up being about 25% of the words. And Paul is someone who intimately knew the suck. Paul was beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned. On many occasions, he went without food and without shelter. Friends turned their backs on him. Many Christians didn't trust him. But Paul understood what it meant to go through hard times. This is what Paul wrote in Romans 5. He said this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they will help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Trials develop endurance. Endurance develops character. Character strengthens our hope of salvation. It strengthens our hope in Jesus. And when we have that hope, Paul, who's been through a lot, says we will not be disappointed. We will not be let down. And we will be reminded constantly just how much God loves us. You see, we embrace the suck because it leads to growth. It leads to hope. And ultimately, it leads us closer to the heart of Jesus. This is why you don't quit. Listen, if your faith isn't in Jesus, if your hope isn't in Jesus, if you haven't made the decision to make him the number one thing in your life, this is one of the reasons why you start following him. This is one of the reasons when Jesus says he came to give us a better life, a more fulfilling life, this is how the people who follow him know that it's true because we've been through the suck and we still have hope. Because whether or not you believe in God, you will have trials, that's universal. But without God, there's no hope when you hit them. So there will come a point this year where you experience pain There will come a point this year when you want to give up. There will come a point this year when you don't know what else to do. There will come a point this year where you will hit a wall. Embrace the suck. Find your community. And don't lose sight of the hope that Jesus wants to fill your life with. Let's pray. God, um, I don't think any of us want to have a hard year. God, there's not one person that woke up in this room hoping that 2020 is the worst year of their life.
But the truth is, so many, many of us are going to experience some pain that we never imagined. So many of us are going to have relationships that don't go the way that we hoped they would. God, so many of us are, are going to experience something during this year where we're going to feel like just giving up, quitting, God, walking away. So God, I pray that when that moment happens, and, and for those who are in it right now, I pray that they're not alone. Um, I, God, I pray for those of us who are walking down this journey of 2020, um, God, that we don't even see it coming. God, I pray when that moment comes, which we know it will, God, that we're not by ourselves. God, that we have a group of people around us to pick us up. God, a group of people around us to carry our burdens. A group of people around us to literally drag us across the finish line if that's what is needed. But God, I pray ultimately, no matter what trials we go through this year, no matter what pain we experience, no matter what brokenness becomes real, God, I, I pray that we can get to a place where when we have those trials and have that pain, we endure and we can see the hope that you offer us. So God, ultimately, I, I just pray that everybody here has hope. God, in the highs and the lows and the good and the bad, whatever happens this year, God, we find our hope in you. And God, that hope leads us closer to you. God, and that hope is a reminder of how much you love us because we can get through it. And the best thing about that is that we don't have to do it alone. God, help this church be a place of real and authentic community. God, not just be a church that has small groups, a church that serves on Sunday, a church that does things that every other church does. But God, I pray that they're different. I pray that it's different here, that it's real, that it's raw, that people can be vulnerable, that guys can actually share what's going on in their life, that women build each other up, that single people understand that God loves them and they have so much value by themselves. God, help us be that church. God, thank you for the community that you've created here. God, we just pray that it continues to impact more people. And God, we pray that at some point this year when we're down and we're low and we don't know what else to do, that community is here to pick us back up. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.